We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I, I like to have three different types of tape in my first aid kit. The first one's duct tape. The second one is duct tape. And the third one is duct tape. A guy that was on the trip that was new to being outdoors and, and absolutely freaked out to the point. I literally had to put the guy down in a hold and hold him down because he was going to go running off into the woods. Even if, if one eye is just covered and you've got the other eye that's looking around, the eye that's injured is going to track with the other one and it'll cause more injury. So anytime you have an injury to an eye, you want to cover both of them up. Hey everybody, welcome to the Survival Show Podcast with David and me, Craig. Craig Cottle, that's me. And producer being nowhere in sight today, but we'll manage without him today. Where it's our job to take you step by step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster. And show you how to use lessons you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. David, what's up? <laughs> What's up, man? So I wasn't looking for another job, but uh, there's a local camp here, Christian camp that we use for our trainings, and they recently voted me in to help them move into the future, I guess. So I am sitting up here in what we call, uh, it's one of the buildings, second floor, looking at the beautiful endless mountains of north central Pennsylvania where the buds are popping and the sun is shining. How about you, my friend? Uh, Kentucky is beautiful today. I uh, got out before daylight this morning. I worked out real early, about 4.30 to 6 o'clock or so, and then went out into the woods to listen to some turkeys gobble. I was really actually going out to try to listen to some grouse drumming, which happens this time of year, and I didn't hear any. They're, grouse numbers, it's interesting, but grouse numbers are dwindling. But uh, with that said, it's that kind of day makes for a fantastic start to the day for me because I love being in the woods. So, yeah, it's going going really well. That's awesome, man. So, guys, it's our mission to help you progressively increase your survival IQ. So you leave out of here today better prepared at the end of the show than you are right now at the beginning. And coming up next, we're going to be doing a follow-up on our podcast that we did one or two times ago on first aid fundamentals. And today, we're going to really focus in, Craig, on kits kits boo-boo kits we're going to talk about a woodsman kit we're going to talk about trauma kits uh, di i think mostly do it yourself what you really need to have in in your first aid kits what not to have things we love things we hate that's inevitable that we're going to talk about that when we get into first aid kits and we're going to talk about just getting out there and getting some training yourself yeah guys so don't forget to check us out over at the survivalshow.com website there again We'll see. It's we're getting there. We're getting there, and uh, that'll be blowing up in a good way really soon. And uh, you're gonna you're gonna like it. You're, no, you're not gonna like it. You're gonna love it. So <laughs> check it out, survivalshow.com. All right, guys, and don't forget to check out our sponsor today, the Sportsman's Guide. Links will be in the video description, and at least today, guys. Sometimes we record these podcasts a little bit ahead of time. So, Craig, you have a big announcement today, don't you? Yeah, which one? <laughs> don't you have a new book? <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, oh, uh, <laughs> dependent upon when you are listening to this, um, you're just a few days out from the book release, which was April 9th, uh, Essential Wilderness Navigation. Look in the description below for a link to that. That has been just a fan. It's been a fantastic couple of days. Uh, one of the fun things about writing books is the day that the book releases and everybody's orders from Amazon start showing up at the house and people are sending you pictures and sending you texts and messages and emails and all that kind of stuff. And I love it. And man, I can't believe you got an actual fold out map in this thing. And wow, this is a textbook, man. I didn't know you were so smart. <laughs> it's an awesome All book. this stuff. 
So yeah, it's a, it's a good book. So thank you for bringing it up, David. It's uh, I think it's going to be, and I'm not just saying it. Uh, the reason we wrote the book is that we've constantly had students come to class that, um, that wanted to learn land navigation. They learned in our class, obviously like, like how we teach it, but they had always try also tried to do it on their own with different books and they just didn't resound with them. So we wrote a book that we feel like is going to be the go-to resource for navigation. And if you listen to Manly Musings, which again, depending on when you listen, you probably may have already had this one. I did a whole podcast on that book and not just a sales pitch either, guys. You all know how it works. It's always win-wins. I want to encourage you to get the book, obviously. But in that Manly Musings podcast, I went through each chapter of the book, not to sell it, but I pulled something out of it and shared it with you. So you can increase your navigation skill set just listening to the podcast without the book. So that way you can get better at it. But if you want to buy the book, then there it is in the description below. All right. Just 30 seconds, Craig. Didn't you just have a big article released somewhere? I did. Field and Stream, pretty pretty fantastic magazine that most everybody's heard about. Uh, they contacted me. Uh, my good, I uh, had a really good friend that got me connected with him. And um, he, he will go nameless because I don't know if he wants me to say his name that he got me connected with him. But he's listening. Uh, he listens to the podcast. So you know who you are. Thank you very much for getting me connected with Field and Stream. And uh, we wrote a, an article, the top 25 tips for survival, in which I interviewed a bunch of survival instructors throughout the country and got a couple of tips from each and then added in about 10 of my own. So there's 25 tips, really cool, really good stuff in there. Uh, Field and Stream is fantastic. So that went out to, you know, about 1.2 million people or something like that, so that, which is pretty cool, which is pretty cool. I would love to write for Field and Stream. You know, when you're growing up and you have all these magazines thinking about that stuff and I mean I wanted two things when I started writing I always had a dream when I was younger to have books in the Kentucky section of my local bookstore because I always went to the Kentucky section and checked out the Kentucky authors and just thought that was really cool I've achieved that and I wanted to write for Field and Stream and there's another magazine that'll go nameless right now that I'm working very hard on getting in there as well so yeah I love setting goals and sometimes they take 20 or 30 years to get to them but We'll get there. That's great. All right, Craig, you ready to get into this? Let's do it. All right, guys, what I thought we would do is we're going to dig into, as David mentioned earlier, first aid kits. So we've broken these down into three primary different types of kits, boo-boo kits, we're going to talk about a woodsman's kit. That's my word. Just a wood, you know, something you're going to take with you. And it doesn't have to be in the woods. It can be something that goes in your car. That's for sure. Because that's where I keep mine is in the car. And then I definitely want to get into trauma kits and, and the things that go along with those. So first things first, we should mention again. It was mentioned last time, but let's say it again in case somebody else. David, what's your recommendation for the little adhesive strips, what kind should you get? <laughs> that That is not the trade name. The trade name that we all, a lot of us go by is Band-Aid. And there's a reason for that. But when you get, when you buy a kit, let's just say uh, Walmart or whatever, most of the times, most of the time, you're going to have about half of the items in there that are actually Band-Aid. So it'll say 212 items, you know, maybe, maybe 50, 60, 70, up to 100 of those items are various types of adhesive strips now what i have found is that nothing outperforms band-aid brand they just they just have it down i don't know if they were the first but that's that's the brand name we all remember and i'm not pitching band-aid brand i'm just saying that they stick and they work that's all i have really on band-aids do you have anything else craig yeah big fan of the stretchy ones you all uh the stretchy ones allow me to put them on under sitting gloves and get to work and get done when I need to get done, whether that's, you know, turkey calling in a turkey or cutting firewood or just being my genuine, lovable, huggable self. <laughs> uh, I like having those stretchy band-aids on cause I can get a lot of stuff done. One of the things I would like to add to that boo-boo kit is antibiotic ointment. And one of the things I want to make sure that uh, people know about that ointment is that that is there to, help ward off bacteria and what have you from getting into a wound site. And one of the things that is important to understand about that is that because it does take care of bacteria, it also helps fight some of the healing 
process that happens inside of a wound. So it's very important not to put antibiotic ointment in a wound site. So if I get a cut, for example, on my forearm, I'm going to clean all the way around that cut and I may apply antibiotic ointment around the cut, but I'm not going to put it down inside the cut. That can actually be an inhibitor to uh, the wound healing properly. So let's avoid that. I guess the only thing I have to add to that, Craig, is you can kind of double up multi-purpose here. If you take some triple antibiotic and rub it into some cotton balls, you've got kind of a antibiotic swab. Is that the right word that you can rub onto a wound and that way it'll kind of keep that antibiotic lotion from getting in the deeper recesses of that wound like Craig's talking about here. Plus, plus uh, there's, it's a petroleum, largely petroleum based product. So if you infuse a cotton ball with it or just put a little dab or two, on a cotton ball, rub it in and put your cotton balls maybe in a little tiny sandwich bag or something like that. It makes a fantastic fire starting resource. I love things that have dual purpose, don't you? Mm -hmm. Particularly for survival. And and that's one of my favorites. And one other that I would throw in a boo-boo kit just because it's so common is some sort of poison ivy wash. Uh, We, my wife makes our homemade version of it, we make some jewelweed spray that we put on before we get into an area. That's not something that you can use. It's usually called a wash, but it's not something that you can put on uh, that works exceptionally well after you've already been in it. It's okay. But uh, poison ivy oil is oil. So the best thing you do is use a lot of water to get it off of your skin. But poison ivy wash or spray is something you can put on before. Some uh, first aid kits I do like have a poison ivy wipe or something of that nature that'll be in there and you can utilize those as well before you get into the poison ivy so that's a nice little boo-boo kind of item to have for sure you want to dig into this woodsman kit something a little bit bigger and substantial yeah let's do this how about uh i I put a list up here for us how about you go through those and then uh, i'll throw some comments in and you can throw your comments in and we'll move on through this so if you're listening Probably if you're driving, don't do this while you're driving. But if you're listening where you can take notes, then just write these down. And if not, then we'll, uh, this is another thing I want to do with a website that's coming up. Survivalshow.com is, is basically have a blog that'll list these kind of things. And that way you can find them real easy. But m- virtually everything that you can see here, you can find in the Sportsman's Guide, which is our sponsor. So check that out. You can pick up all these items. Let's Let's dig into it. Yeah, so the boo-boo kit's really simple. The woodsman's kit's a little bit more in-depth and can take more take care of a lot more things. So we've got 4x4 four four gauze, of course, gauze of almost any size, especially 4x4, four four, because that's a, that's a nice size gauze, so you can handle larger wound areas. You can cut it or fold it down to smaller areas. Uh, you can use it to uh, cover, cover over wounds. You can use it to clean, clean yourself up. What else do you have there for gauze, Craig? Gauze is just four by four gauze is just a perfect size to, to, to do exactly that, to cover things up. And you can soak up blood with them as well, depending on how many. You know, I'm usually recommending four to five of those minimum go into a kit. And uh, they just, you know, they can, the antibiotic ointment that was mentioned before, you can soak them in that and put them over uh, the wound site after it's closed up uh, so that you can keep it from uh, getting debris in it as well as keep it healthy as best you can. Again, I just want to emphasize, avoid getting the antibody ointment down into the wound site unless you're going to be out for an extended period of time. But cover any wound site just to cover it so it doesn't get more debris in it. Uh, you'll probably want to have it taped, which is the next item on our list, taped in such a way that you can access it and make sure it's not getting infection in it. If you're starting to see signs of infection in that wound site, then, and this is the reason why you need to take a good first aid class is, uh, to be able to recognize the signs of infection and stuff of that nature. I don't necessarily feel qualified to go into details on that because I'm not the best in the world at it. Uh, I'm good at doing it for my own self, but I don't want to be the person responsible for teaching you all get into a good class for sure. Yeah. As far as tape, Craig, so you want to just talk about different types of tape people can use and maybe I'm thinking of one in particular that can be super versatile in a pinch. I, I like to have three different types of tape in my first aid kit. The first one's duct tape. The second one is duct tape, and the third one is duct tape. It does everything. Uh, the only thing that it does concern me is that uh, it 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 does hang really well and sticks really well. And so if you have a wound that may 
you may have trouble wanting to pull that tape off because it might cause more damage than you might have some of that medical tape that doesn't stick really well. But particularly for disaster readiness and survival in a wood situation, which is the topic of our podcast, I'm just a big fan of duct tape, duct tape, and duct tape because it works. And it works well. It stays strong. It works when it gets wet. You can use it as a fire starter. I mean, it has um, so many different uses that I'm just a big fan of it. What were you going to say? Were you going to say something besides duct tape? No, I was I was curious what you were going to say because that's what I was going to say. And I was I didn't know. You just had tape here on the notes. I didn't know if you were going to talk about the medical tape, which my experience is like you. Generally speaking, it especially those little thin rolls that they put in a lot of kits that you would buy in a store they don't that doesn't work well there are there is some professional medical tape that's that's more of a a cloth base but it's pretty expensive so it often doesn't end up in the kits that you would buy all right let's get into the next one david how about an irrigation syringe do you know what i mean by that or what do you use for that i do I, i actually never took one with me until i was talking to you one day about being frustrated with the sawyer mini filters and not bringing the syringe to clean those out because it's it's about the same size as the fil- filtration unit itself. And you promptly instructed me to the other uses of the uh, of that syringe. And now I'm a believer, Craig. Go ahead. What else do you have to say about that? Yeah, guys and gals, what we're talking about as far as the syringe in your kit is it just works exceptionally well to get water into a wound site, whether it's whether it's a burn or whether it's a cut or whether you just want to put some water on your hands to, to be hygienic before you eat. It puts that water under pressure so you can push it out under that pressure and use it as a steady stream, focus stream on what it is that you're wanting to clean out. Think about that wound site. You don't want to be digging down in there with a dirty hand to try to get debris out. You don't want to dig in there with a knife or anything of that nature to try to get debris out. But if you have that syringe, you can put that water under pressure and push any small debris, even stuff that you might not actually see with the naked eye. You're going to be able to push that out of the wound site. So that's a really good, really good thing to have in your kit is that irrigation syringe. Okay. Next on the list, Craig is gloves, gloves. Now I can think of a couple of different types of gloves, but I think specifically here, we're, we're just talking about medical gloves, right? Yeah, absolutely. Particularly when you think about yourself being number one, if somebody has a wound site, particularly blood, then you don't want to be uh, taking that into your body through a cut or an open wound. And you definitely don't want to be taking your dirty hand and trying to fix somebody's problem and possibly causing more problems for that patient of yours. So medical gloves, it's one of the things that gets overlooked. I would like to add in as far as gloves are concerned. A lot of my tactical Timmy types, uh, the guys that really are tactically oriented, it got to be really tactical to, to carry black gloves and a black medical gloves. And that's a no, no, you know, most of the guys that I know that are, you know, special forces type medics and stuff of that nature, you know, SRU teams and stuff of that nature that I get to, the the benefit of hanging out and training with on occasion they're like yeah that's tactical but you can't see blood at night very well at all on black gloves so avoid that uh, if it's dark and you're trying to treat a patient you know one of the things you do in training and i'm not going to get into training but one of the things you do is you do a blood sweep depending upon the situation and you sweep the body with with your hands and uh, when somebody initially is hurt or shot or what have you and you, you swipe the body and then you you physically pull your hands up in front of your face and look at it and see if you're seeing any blood from that part of the body. So um, to to do that with black gloves at night is, is not cool. You can't see the blood very well. So get something, the light blue that's so common or another color that's going to show up blood really well. That's good. Maybe a, one thing that I would add, which is maybe beyond the scope of, of this kit in particular, but something I think in the glove family that's important is having some good leather gloves with you just for some various reasons that we talked about, I think in the last podcast, but having leather gloves is more of an injury prevent prevention item that I always carry a pair. Do you carry a pair of gloves with you, Craig, or are you just, you just have manly hands and you don't need them? It's kind of a, it's kind of tough to give you a good answer. I don't normally carry gloves with me. I mean, I do, and I'm not trying to be whatever, but my hands are fairly calloused and, uh, my, both my hands are completely calloused and, uh, they have been since I was in, 
you know, middle school because I've been working on the farm or working in the woods doing something on my whole life. I've gotten to where I've taken gloves a little bit more lately because I kept getting injuries to my hands. And like I've got like three fingers at this point that I've cut with knives and and machetes and stuff of that nature. And all of those came just so you know, I know what I'm doing, I think. But where I messed up was trying to video this stuff. (laughs) I have literally cut my fingers trying to do stuff on camera, like putting a knife in a sheath and I'm watching the camera and I'm not watching my own hands. And I've cut myself to where I don't have feeling in about three of my fingers now. So one of these is kind of interesting. It's still out there somewhere. When I was working for Dan's Depot, I absolutely stabbed myself on camera. And uh, I mean, like stuck this knife in my hand deep. I didn't show it on camera because it hurts. It hurts anybody to watch it, let alone me. But I did take the opportunity to go through the process of how to fix yourself (laughs) on camera. Kind of an impromptu video. But anyway, the point being is I wear gloves a little bit more often than I used to now. I'm, my hands are tough, but I'm tired of losing finger uh, feeling in my fingers. That's not cool. <laughs> Next, we have triangle bandage. And the difference that maybe I would key in on with a triangle bandage versus maybe gauze would be that the triangle bandage can be used as kind of like a pseudo compression bandage, can also be tied and wrapped around things. And uh, what do you have to say about that, Craig? Triangle bandages that come in your typical first aid kit are uh, quite a bit larger than the average ordinary bandana. Uh, The triangle bandage is going to be more closely in size to like a Shema or Kefia or what have you. And so I think they're a pretty incredible piece of equipment to have in because they they do help secure splints to to an injury. It obviously helps splint the shoulder. You'll see see them used for that more than anything. if you need to cover up the eyes, you could put gauze, the four before gauze over both eyes and and then wrap the head in a triangular bandage to keep those in place. So they're they're a pretty versatile piece of equipment, that's for sure. And most of the triangle bandages that I've seen are porous. They're almost like a you could use them to um use a almost as a pre filter to get out the real listen to this term. This is really important to understand. It's it's a real technical term, the funky chunkies out of anything. So if you need to pour water, that's got a lot of sedimentation into it before you run your filter through it, you can get a lot of those funky chunkies out of there with something like a triangular bandage as well. So it's a pretty versatile piece of equipment, really. And I just wrote down here, bandana. Now triangular bandage is, like you said, oftentimes quite a bit larger than a bandana. It's pretty hard to kind of support and splint your broken arm or a hurt elbow with a bandana just because of its size. Although bandanas are really versatile and you did mention a shamog. Is that how you say it or shama? I've always said shama uh, and I actually do not know how the best way to say that is. Mm-hmm. And they are usually, I'm going to say somewhere between 30 and 36 inches square. So as an alternative, that's also a good piece of equipment to have around. Next, we have Steri Strips, uh, Stera Strips. Would you say Steri Strip or Stera Strips? Steri. Steri, Steri strip. Strips. I put this on there because you can add this to your kit because it makes doing, well, it makes what you use them for easy, okay? But I would caution you on this. And, and again, I don't want to pretend, pretend to be a first aid instructor, but any type time you take a wound site out in the woods in particular or disaster like your middle of a hurricane you cut yourself because you had to replace the tire or whatever might happen okay or replace the wheel on your vehicle because you got cut or whatever anytime you do that and you're not getting real solid medical attention you haven't got it real clean and you close it up you really take a, a an increased risk of infection and so if you get one of these pieces of first aid equipment that that you put on a wound and close up the wound and then you cover it up and you don't look at it and don't take care of it, then I'm kind of iffy on that. Or that's the way I've been trained by the guys that have taught me first aid. And I'm not talking about American Heart and Red Cross, which are good. I'm talking about the guys that have taught me wilderness and remote first aid, disaster readiness first aid. Duct tape fits that bill really well. Duct tape can fit the bill on uh, wound closure, just cut little strips of it. It does that. And it's, it's easy to check that wound site. You can cover it up, take it off, and then you've got these little strips of duct tape that you can easily look into the wound, see if it's getting infected. And if it is, you just you just 
clean it out and you go about your business by closing it back up again. But again, that's where you need to get some good training. That's really good. Now you've got the next one on here, Craig, a vet wrap. I'm going to let you talk exclusively about this because I learned this from you at one of your trainings. Okay, guys and gals. Um, thanks, Dave, for asking that question. The Back when I was younger, if I twisted my ankle or something, I would use like an ACE elastic bandage or something of that nature to wrap around, have the little metal clips. And, and a lot of people are familiar with those. But vet wrap, I think, takes those to another level, although it's for the most part one and done. But it's it's a stretchable bandage that has really light glue on it, but it sticks really well. Um, meaning you can wrap an ankle up, you can wrap up a, a broken finger. Uh, I, I use vet wrap as a, I've got some camouflage vet wrap that I use as a camouflage covering that comes off real easy for guns and bows and stuff of that nature too. It stretches, but it does help cover the wound site. The only problem with vet wrap is that once you take it off, you're done with it. You're not going to reuse it like you can an elastic bandage, for example. Uh, it's a fantastic piece. You can get it in different colors so that if you want to keep some in a first aid kit that's bright orange, for example, then, uh, you know, you can use it as a signaling device. Uh, you can use it to wrap tent poles together and they'll stay together really well. So it's a, it's an incredible diverse piece of equipment. I keep it in my first aid kits. Uh, I, I buy mine off of a uh, vet uh, when I say vet, veterinarian type supply stores, because that's where I, I find it the cheapest. And uh, they use it to wrap. Like if you've ever seen horses like the, you know, Kentucky Derby, <laughs> yo, Kentucky, what's up? Uh, if you have, uh, you see the wraps that are on the horse's feet at times, that's exactly what that is. That's what's called vet wrap. And so it's utilized for that. And now it's got these broad uses in first aid as well for nice. humans. So the next item that we have is iodine pads. and I actually prefer iodine. I've used iodine quite a bit in wound care. And uh, I honestly, some people don't like the burn. I'm going to be Craig here. Get over it, you all. <laughs> because uh, iodine just works. And uh, it actually leaves a, a little bit of a mark that actually makes me feel a bit more secure that I have actually treated that wound. Craig, what do you have to add for iodine pads? Both iodine pads and alcohol pads have uses beyond just for first aid too. So I like having both of those in my kit. Iodine pads are probably the the best solution for you to clean an area really well. Alcohol does a good job. And alcohol, uh, alcohol pads is going to... Iodine pads and alcohol pads both are something that I really like having in my kit because they have uses outside of first aid. Iodine pads are really good to, to wipe around that wound site. Alcohol pads does the same thing, but iodine is, is, is again, a visual uh, indicator that you've got an injury. Alcohol pads going to, the alcohol is going to go away real quickly, like, and sometimes that's needed. Iodine can be used to help clean water. Just be aware that if you've got your typical Nalgene-sized bottle, you know, one or two drops at most, two drops is going to take care of the water for you. You don't need to think it's one of those things where if one or two is good, then 10 is better because 10 means you're going to start hurting your organs. Alcohol pads can be utilized to start fires. So not only does it have that first aid use for a survival kit mentality, uh, they both have those other uses as well. And I mean, for like, you know, another thing is you can use iodine to, we've used it to, to camouflage people's faces in class too, before to darken it up. So it doesn't have as much shine. Interesting. So there you go. Never done that. <laughs> Now, opposed to pads, too, I do have, I believe it's a half ounce or a one ounce little bottle of iodine that has a dropper in it. And that, that functions well if, if in a pinch that you need to disinfect water. Works that way, like Craig said. And uh, that, that's, I, I actually don't have iodine pads in my Woodsman kit. I, I do have a little bottle with a little squeezy thing. Next, we have ibuprofen, antihistamines, and aspirin. I'm going to let you take this one, Craig. Yeah, any of these over-the-counter meds are going to be good for your kit, and you need to have them in there. And just make sure that your kit, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but you store your kit in a way that they don't get water infiltration into the kit because, you know, those medicines will go away. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you can use antihistamines is one that's looked, is overlooked. But for people that are going to have some sort of allergic reaction, and, and I remember one time, I was on a canoe trip 
I mean, out in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. And we had a, a guy that was on the trip that was new to being outdoors and he got into some, um, stinging nettle and absolutely freaked out. I mean, abs- I mean, literally freaked out on us to the point that I had to, uh, fortunately I was a uh, pretty accomplished martial artist at the time. I literally had to put the guy down in a hold and hold him down because he was going to go running off into the woods. And, uh, he was very much inclined to, to be medically inclined. He was getting ready to go through medical school. And, uh, so we had him convinced and it worked that if he took an antihistamine, uh, it would help. And so that helped him calm him down. It was more of a placebo effect with the, with the stinging nettle and the more than anything, but it worked. But for those that have some sort of allergic reaction that it'll help for sure, as well as, you know, bee stings and all that sort of thing, you might have an allergic reaction. And obviously anything that is particular to a person, and their medical condition, like somebody you know is allergic to bee stings or you have a diabetic in your group or something of that nature, you need to know where their medicine is. And if there's something in there that you don't know how to use, you know how to use if you're the group leader uh, or at least somebody knows how to use for sure. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So in this list of three, we've got kind of two categories. We've got the antihistamine, which is, do you want to just tell people what an antihistamine is, what that actually means? It's going to help take down the swelling of an allergic reaction more than anything um, for the simplistic way of saying it, but that's what it's going to be used for. So if you have that allergic reaction to a bee sting, it's going to help. If you start having swelling in your throat, if you have, you know, swelling on the body on a localized swelling, then it's going to help for that process. Not, not incredibly. It's probably something that somebody has a severe reaction. You need to get them out, obviously, but it could definitely help yep. in that process. And then we have ibuprofen and aspirin. Those are more pain relief, right? Pain relief. Uh, just keep in mind, anybody that's on aspirin, it's going to thin their blood ever so slightly. Um, but, uh, there's some people that could experience some benefit and I'm no medical provider. I don't want to pretend to offer medical advice. Just be aware that these are just things that I've been told and anything that I'm saying in regards to medical advice, you should check with uh, your first aid and get updated on it. But somebody's having a heart attack can take an aspirin and it possibly help. There is some research that helps with that, or at least that's the way I was trained the last time. If that's changed, I don't know about it. If it's changed, mm-hmm. let us know. And I carry, I do carry these. I do carry ibuprofen and antihistamines in particular. And my take on it, I don't like to take anything if I don't have to. But Mm -hmm, if you're in a situation, if just for instance with this kid, if you're out in the wilderness and you're three, four, five hours away from from anywhere and you you get something that hurts bad, that ibuprofen or that aspirin could be the difference between kind of getting you over that really rough spot as far as pain and getting you home. Yeah, I'm down with that. You're good. Now, the next things on the list, again, I'm going to let you, these are new to me. I, I do not have these in my kit. Just being honest with you, the glu, glucose shots and rehydration salts, I do not carry those. You want to talk to the guys about what, why you have those there? Okay, so for somebody that is, um, we my family's always carried some glucose shots. And when I say shots, it's just a, 
it, it, it's just the type of way of getting some sugar into somebody that has either diabetes or low blood sugar hypoglycemia. And some people, you don't have to be a diabetic, a severe diabetic, like an insulin dependent diabetic or metformin type two diabetic to have issues with low blood sugar. And so glucose shots are something that really helps as well as in, in both of these, uh, you know, I, I'm stepping outside the realm of diabetes. Okay. But for those that might experience hypoglycemia or they get really hot and sweat all their water out and they need to be rehydrated, sometimes those people will cramp and and just become a non-functioning human. And when that happens, you've got to have some some things that are going to help, like rehydration salts. Uh, I've gotten to the habit now where I carry Pedialyte if it's a hot summer class and we're going to be burning a lot of calories I mean, and, and burning a lot of sweat. We had an instance last year where somebody in the middle of the summer we took, we have this class called the Lost Man Exercise where we we basically take people out and get them lost. They're not lost to the instructors, but the instructors know where they are. But we take them into an unfamiliar area, blindfolded, and have them navigate their way out. And they have to discover where they are with some uh, problem solving and any number of things. Anyway, we were way, way off in the middle of nowhere, and we had a student that just went down on us. And Pedialyte, fortunately, the person that was with him brought Pedialyte. And so... um that brought that person back. I mean, it was something we were seriously, me and the other instructor, Tracy Trimble, we're in the process of discussing how we're going to carry this person out. Cause it was, it was not somebody that he and I were going to be able to carry them out. We were going to have to get search and rescue in there. And, uh, and it was, you know, Pedialyte that helped get them back where they needed to be. Glucose shots for somebody that's low blood sugar, rehydration shots or Pedialyte or some Vitalite is another product that we've taken and utilized in class. A lot of tactical Timmy types have Vitalites. I don't know who started all that, but it's, it's good stuff. Pedialyte's probably the cheapest for rehydration quickly and to get those electrolytes back into you. That's good. Craig, I'm just going to throw in one thing here that I've been doing for quite some time, and it seems to really, really, really help with my body uh, actually processing the water that it needs and rehydrating is I'm actually sitting here with my Gatorade bottle and I put a about a half ounce of good organic lemon juice in there and that plant-based uh, electrolyte helps your body to actually absorb and use the water efficiently and I'm telling you when I'm dehydrated which happens often because like you I'm out a lot and I get busy about things and I forget to hydrate oftentimes I'll even be out with people and I'll tell them to hydrate and meanwhile I realize that I did not do it. And Craig will tell me, dude, you need to hydrate. So, <laughs> so that's another yeah. thing you can do. Yeah. Good teammates will do that for one <laughs> another. I mean, I know it's, it's, it's preventative medicine, but a good teammate is going to, and, and, and I learned this the hard way with my daughter. I've mentioned it before on here, but my daughter's type one. And when she's getting low blood sugar, like virtually every other diabetic out there, uh, when she's getting low blood sugar, she doesn't recognize you know, how her personality changes and we can see it as family members. And it's one of them things where we can tell her, Hey, you need to do this. You need to get some, you need to get some sugar in you or some variation of it. And she'll just absolutely refuse. And, you know, the first few times that happened, it's like, why is she being such a butthole? You know, I mean, we're just trying to help, but she just doesn't, I mean, she's out of it. And so I developed a, the ability to go, okay, cool. And then just get the sugar and give it to her and say, take this. And so that's, I'm not saying that everybody has to deal with type one diabetes like my family does, but, but learning how to do that has been very beneficial to me helping other people when they want to be argumentative or they want to be disagreeable. And I will make sure that they do what they need to do, whether they want to do it or not. Cause that's, that's, you know, we've talked about it as, as far as, you know, that you're number one. And when somebody's doing that and bringing the team down, everybody's going to go down. And so I just, I, I prevent it from happening by hitting it, and, you know? Yeah. And David's been the victim of that <laughs> a few times. So that's yeah. why he's laughing. But no, seriously though, I always carry at least two liters of water in my pack when I'm out in the woods and both of those liters are infused with lemon water. It could be really just about any kind of juice helps. 
Do you have anything else to say about just electrolytes since we're kind of sort of on that? No, Pedialyte will get somebody in a pinch and it's just something you have to put in your kit to carry. Uh, I'm not saying it's the greatest thing in the world. Obviously, lemon juice, if it works for you, use it. But uh, I can tell you, I've seen a really large man who is on the ground. And I'm looking at going, man, I can't carry that dude out of here. Come alive after drinking some Pedialyte. And so uh, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in it. Now, is it some sort of a concentrate that you put in water? Or is that something that you would drink straight? I, I have no experience with it. Okay. So, like... I've gotten to the point now, if I know that I'm going to be outside for an extended period of time, when I say extended, five, six hour period of time and sweating a lot, I will drink half Pedialyte, half water at some point in time. Usually I'll drink water first. I'll drink water, water, water. And then at some point in time, about the fourth bottle, it's going to be half Pedialyte, half water. And I've gotten to where I can just feel it. Hey, I'm, I've lost it. I don't have my, I don't have the energy I need, I, I know I'm down. And so I'll take in that Pedialyte. Or if I recognize that in somebody, I'll force them to take that Pedialyte in. If they're down and not getting off the ground, it's straight Pedialyte, period. And and that's how we do it. But as a preventative, we do it, you know, half and half. And at least one bottle out of three or four. That's interesting. So it's actually a larger item that you would carry in your kit then. Yeah, it's it's a cumbersome item. It's not something. I mean, like I keep we keep it in our vehicles now, uh, for for uh, you know unexpected situations where we're stuck outside. But if I know I'm going to be way off trail in very hot weather, I will put that in my pack now after that situation. Because I'm just telling you, we're pretty good at uh, risk management and risk assessment and the way we teach classes. And this one really surprised us. And so anytime we have a surprise like that, then we fix ourselves. And the way I fix us in that particular situation, thank goodness to the person that was with the the gentleman that went down. Um, if it hadn't been not for that person, knowing that this is a possibility and bringing the Pedialyte, I didn't bring it, she did, then uh, that person would have been in trouble. Sounds like it changed your life, So man. I, I do that now. <laughs> Yeah, she did. She And she's got some medical training, and so she was smart enough to really help awesome. us with that. So next on the list is moleskin. Moleskin. And when I think of moleskin as far as being in a kit, I'm thinking fixing your feet. What do you think? Same thing. Moleskin is, is for your feet. That's the best use for it. I mean, I, I guess you could put it somewhere else, but I don't know how it would be superior to basically a Band-Aid and some duct tape. And, and I should have mentioned that earlier. In the woods, if I've got a Band-Aid that I'm going to use, even the stretchy ones that I'm a big fan of that stick really well, I'm usually going to cover that bad boy up with duct tape too um, if I know I'm going to be out for a while. But I, I've just got to be in the business of checking it so it doesn't get too dirty or sweaty and uh, I can clean it up. So duct tape could probably save – I mean, I'm sorry, moleskin could probably serve in that role, but I, I just primarily would mm-hmm. use it on my feet. If you were going to use duct tape on your feet, those four by four gauze strips, cutting them down maybe would, would be helpful because man, I can't imagine having duct tape right over my blister. (laughs) I've done it before, um, only because that's what I had and I didn't have a better choice. And so to keep that blister from continuing to grow, it works. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it helps to, to keep it at bay. The problem is just like you mentioned, when it's time to come off, it's not, there's no fun about it unless you really like pain. And I'm not a fan of pain. All right. So you're just making me laugh here, Craig, today. Um, Duct tape. Have we covered duct tape enough? Can we say, and can we even say enough about duct tape? Is it possible? No, it's, it's good stuff. I need to do a, we need to do a good show on duct tape, hundred uses of a duct tape or something. Last but not least, we've got rolled gauze. Again, just like the 4 by 4 squares of gauze, rolled gauze has a place too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just think about that big open wound that you cut yourself in the leg with an axe. Better yet, just prevent it from happening. Don't cut yourself with the axe and you don't have to use it. But if you've got that big gaping wound, you want to fill it with something, you fill it up with some sterile gauze. A rolled gauze is going to soak up the blood. It's going to cover up the wound site. Uh, rolled gauze is great for putting over an eye that's been injured. 
and you can support uh, that I and just, I don't want to, man, I, I keep trying to avoid this subject, but some of it just comes up. If you have one eye that's injured, particularly if it's got something stuck in it, you want to close both eyes and support and cover them up because even if, if one eye is just covered and you've got the other eye that's looking around, the eye that's injured is going to track with the other one and it'll cause more injury. So anytime you have an injury to an eye, you want to cover both of them up. With that said, if you get some sort of, of, um, instrument, whether it's a knife, a stick or something that is stuck in the human body, then the, you don't want to pull it out because you never know what it's, it's injured on the inside. Just leave it until you get to medical attention, but you want to support that as best you can. And one thing you can do is to, to put rolled gauze around it and then tape that to help support that. So it doesn't move around. I just learned a lot right there, Craig. I didn't know that about the eyes either. That was a really helpful tip. Thanks. Yeah. You see that all the time. It looks cool when people cover up one eye, but that's not, that's not what you need to do. All right. Next today we've got trauma kits. Now you want to give people just a little bit of a backstory on what trauma kits are for and maybe some cautions there too. I think the big thing here, everybody, is that if particularly because I know we have a lot of people that carry weapons as a self-defense tool. And if you're going to carry a gun as a self-defense tool and you you just need to know that if you're going to be using a gun to put holes in people or try to put holes in people, then probably somebody is trying to put holes in you. And the last thing you want to happen is to be in a situation where somebody has shot you or. Uh, you've, you've been involved in a very traumatic vehicle accident and somebody's leg is severed or arm is severed and not have trauma medicine type tools. And so that's what trauma medicine kit is for, not just for gunfighters, but also for those that, that involved in trauma medicine that could easily include any of us in a car wreck or those that would come upon that's been in a car wreck. And I just want to throw in a little disclaimer and a warning here. A lot of the things that we're going to share with you in this trauma kit, you really need to be trained on and trained right. I think what we'll do is we'll try to find somebody that runs their own training school. I have a few friends and we'll try to get them on to talk about training unbiased, not just for them, because I can get them on and do that pretty, pretty readily. David is absolutely, totally correct. Um, Trauma training is invaluable. I will go ahead and give a plug to the training called Stop the Bleed because that is getting pretty well established throughout the country. I looked before we got on to this podcast, there's like 48,000 different instructors in the country now that can teach stop the bleed programs. So that's a really well broadcast group of instructors that can do that. So check to stop the bleed out. I think it's a red cross program. Pretty sure it's a red cross program, but, um, get that training and then carry these kit items that we're going to talk about. All right. First on our list is Israeli bandage. A lot of people probably, unless they're tactically oriented, are not even going to have a clue what this is. You want to tell people what, what it is and what, the cool thing that it can do. Most people talk about Israeli bandages and use that term. It's, it's more often than not, it's a stretchable compression bandage, meaning anytime you have a cut wound or an open wound or something that's bleeding, One of the first things you need to do is put pressure on it to stop the bleeding. And what that's going to help to happen is the blood is going to coagulate where it needs to. And so you can put pressure on it to help start that process. Okay. So what an Israeli bandage does is it does exactly that. Number one, it has an an area on it that you put over the wound site. And that wound site, that area is going to be clean. It's going to be a sterile gauze. It's, it's a little bit sizable, a little bit more sizable than a four before gauze, for example. Uh, some Israeli bandages even have a hemostatic agent in them. That's going to help coagulate the blood, stop it and help clot it. So it, uh, it stops the bleeding from happening. But what an Israeli bandage is specifically for uh, beyond just a cover and uh, a gauze is that it has a stretchy material in it and there's a certain way that you put it on there and it puts pressure on the wound site. So for example, let's just say, cause I think this can provide the visual that we're looking for. Let's say you get a wound to your left bicep. Okay. You get cut there, you get shot there. And for you to stop the bleeding, you'd have to take your right hand and put it on that wound site to stop it. And now think, for example, if you're a tactical Timmy type person, you can't fight because both of your arms are, um, involved in keeping 
to the blood in your body. So you can use an Israeli bandage to put that pressure on there and then it'll hold the pressure. It'll keep the area clean. And then you can get back in the fight. You can get back to business, what you need to be doing. So one thing that I heard you say here, Craig, and I really want to emphasize this to people and with getting some training on this and actually doing it is that the Israeli bandage is actually designed. You can, you can fix somebody else with it, but it's actually designed for self-application. Is that correct? Yeah, everything is if you train with it. I mean, ferrule rods are made for self-use with one arm used to if you train with it. So if you come to Nature Reliance School, we're going to make you do it. So, um, but yeah, you, you need to always, in my mind, as far as survival training is concerned, you always need to consider how to do each and everything that we're talking about on yourself and do it on yourself with one arm and take your legs out of the equation. I remember we tra- I trained with a, I've done um, tactical combat casualty care, TCCC was what most people call it. I had the good fortune of being a, being a, a victim in a class. And because I was a victim in these series of classes, I got to take the class. So I've been through like T triple three, like four or five times. It's, it's good training. But one of the things that we did is we got officer down and they had to go from a location and get in their car without the use of their legs. So we, we literally tied their legs together and made them get to their car and get their kit out and, and apply stuff to their legs because they couldn't walk or run. And when somebody gets surprised with that, it's it's pretty interesting. So any type of this training, any of these tools, you need to be able to use them under conditions where you might not have full capability of your arms or legs. The stories with you are endless. I'm always fascinated. <laughs> <laughs> I've been very fortunate, that's for sure, to have some really cool friends. Next up, we have a chest seal. And I think this has some obvious, obvious uh, important applications. Well, think about it, everybody. So uh, again, these are trauma tools. This is something that could come up with easily with a knife, uh, but definitely with you get shot in the chest where you, you were shot and there's air going through the body and meaning you try to take your breath in and basically it's coming in and out and there's no way that your body can function the way it was intended to function. So you can put a seal on your body basically over a hole, whether that's hole due to a knife or you've been shot and it's going to help your body function the way it should. And I think, quite frankly, I want to leave it there. And I'm knowing I'm being real general and generic there because that's definitely one of those things that somebody with good trauma medicine needs to train somebody on. Again, I've had that training, but I'm not qualified to be able to talk about that too much. So I'd like to leave that one at that. Uh, get some good training. I really like your idea of bringing somebody in here who is a qualified really qualified to talk, talk to us all about these sorts right. of things. So let's yeah, definitely do that. do that. So I'm going to, the next one on the list, I'm going to let you say it, but you have it down here. It's NPA. NPA is nasopharyngeal airway. So basically what you have is you have some sort of problem being able to breathe through your mouth, whether there is a constricted airway through your, you know, where your mouth takes in oxygen into the lungs and base, or even there can be some constriction through the nasal passage too. And an MPA, some people call them a nose trumpet. It looks like a, a little fu- a funnel, for example, that has a real long straw on it. And you can look them up as MPAs or MPA for trauma medicine. You'll find these. And uh, basically you insert it into the nose and it's going to help get that area open enough where air can go through the nasal passage and down into the lungs. So if anybody's a fan of MASH, you know, they did this big episode where Radar O'Reilly had to cut into somebody's throat and used a pin to allow air into the body. MPA is going to take away the need for that in most situations. And so uh, you just lube it up, you lube it up with the lube that comes with it or you spit on it. And so I've been in classes where I've actually had to have that stuck in me and I've had to stick it in other people. And it's not comfortable at all. Matter of fact, it's a bit cumbersome and painful. But uh, once you practice it, it's really actually easy to do with somebody that knows how to train people, which I've, again, I've fortunately been able to do that. And it's a valuable piece of equipment. Good stuff. Hemostatic gauze. Hemostatic gauze, I mentioned earlier, is the gauze that is impregnated with some sort of agent that's going to help coagulate the blood, stop the blood, uh, clot it up. just because people ask us all the time, I mean, there's a blue line that runs through a lot of it and people ask, what in the heck's that blue line for? That's so it shows up on x-rays. 
So if you ever see that uh, and you stuff that into a wound site and some in a, and you take somebody to the ER and the x-ray, they're going to be able to see that. It's a very, very thin, some sort of metal. Uh, I really don't know how it all works, but that's what it's for. Mm-hmm. Now, I've never applied it to myself or had to apply it. I hear that it burns a bit, but it, it can literally save your life if you've got some sort of a gaping wound. Yeah, I mean, for years you saw in the movies um, people using the powder, and they when it was first came out, that's what they used. Quick Clot is the brand that most people are familiar with, but there's other brands that are a lot more affordable than just Quick Clot. But uh, but the powder, the problem with the powder is that if you get it anywhere else, it's going to cause problems. And one of the co- problems that came up is somebody would open the package, and then that that clotting agent would get into the eyes it would blow into the eyes and that is not cool. And that happened on the battlefield. So they came up with another solution for that, which is to actually impregnate it into a gauze. And that way you take that problem away. Next up, we have tourniquets. Now my understanding is, and education from you where I learned this, there's two major types of tourniquets that are popular in tactical circles. And I know you prefer one over another. Okay. So the two that are real, uh, really well out there, one is, is really prominent and the other one's not so prominent. Uh, the first one that's really prominent is cat's tourniquet that represents combat application tourniquet. The other one is a soft tee, which is a special operations forces tactical tourniquet. And usually you'll, you'll see them. And the one that I recommend people get is soft tee wide. So, uh, special operations forces tactical tourniquet wide. Um, I'm a huge fan, huge fan of the soft tees. Uh, even though the cats are more uh, readily available, they're actually more affordable. I carry a soft tee. And the reason I carry a soft tee is, again, because I've been through this TCCC several times. And what I'm no, and, and when I say TCCC, this t- uh, tactical combat casualty care training, what I noticed when I was being the victim, because oftentimes I was the officer down. I was the guy that got shot and somebody had to fix me. Okay. And what I noticed these guys running into, and and I've done this in a range of different agencies and actually I'm going to be doing it again tomorrow morning for about six hours. I'm going to be doing this training again, which is pretty cool. What happens is if the training's good, they'll over stimulate the situation by usually music, maybe some physical confrontation from the victim. And if it's really good, uh, when I say music, something loud, loud noises of some sort. Sometimes they'll add in simulation rounds uh, just to simulate loud gunfire. And another one is they'll spray fake blood onto the wound site because blood is very slippery. And what I noticed people running into is if I was in a situation, me being the victim, and my leg was trapped, most people carry the cat's tourniquet where it's already together the the tongue of the tourniquet is down through the buckle and if they can just slide it around the whole leg and bring it up high and tight which is from my training the way it's supposed to go then um it's no problem but if the leg is trapped and they actually had to take the tongue out of the buckle and put it back in that's a real fine motor skill and under stress it's difficult to do that but on a soft tee tourniquet they had this ingenious design that has a buckle that basically unclips. And so you unclip it, wrap it around the leg, clip it back, cinch it down, and you're ready to crank on the windlass to crank the tourniquet on. And so for me and my money, I've got the soft tee tourniquet for that very reason. Um, and again, it's not the most popular one for the tactical Timmies. And I say that lovingly. I guess I'm a tactical Timmy to a degree too. I'm not a law enforcement officer in military, but I, I try to have tactical training as best I can that I have access to. I've, I've just personally witnessed a bunch of guys having trouble with that cat's tourniquet, getting it back through the buckle when they couldn't just put it around the leg. Isn't there a rat? Isn't there a rat's tourniquet? Not in my life. There's not. That's all you have to say. <laughs> rats are rats are SWAT tees. They're too no, and, and there's going to be some pain. Well, I saw on YouTube where some guy did that. Okay, listen to me. Listen. Don't. Don't go there. Get a cat's or get a soft and don't get a, don't get a knockoff. Don't get a fake Chinese one. Get the real deal. Spend the extra money. Here's the thing I try to tell everybody. You know, you might spend 
10 to more dollars on the real tourniquet versus the cheap one. Okay. It's $10 worth of life of your wife because she was involved in car wreck and you put a tourniquet on or saved her life instead of dependent upon that tourniquet that, that may break because it was made in China and it's not worth a dime, then spend the extra money, get, get the good one. Last thing on the list here, Craig is a chest decompression needle. Okay. So I want to bring this up because a lot of tactical guys carry these and I did for a long time too. Uh, some of the training that I got was really big on teaching people how to use a just decomp needle. And the further I got into it, I had basically what got me alarmed is one of our good friends in nature Reliance school who is an EMT is like, I can't believe you carry that. <laughs> and I was like, what? And she was really concerned about it. And so it caused alarms for me because she's got more training than I do. And so I listen to people like that. And because of that, uh, I, I can see the, the validity in the concern and it's just one of them things that, um, unless it's a really weird disaster readiness, the end, the world has come to an end type situation. You're probably not going to need it. Uh, or if you're not on the bat, if you're on the battlefield, you could possibly need it. But for the typical use, um, it, it requires such really good training that, uh, some people, carry them and some people don't and i've gotten away from carrying it myself because i just don't feel comfortable utilizing it the way i used to and I, and not that the training that i had before was not adequate it was really good training from a really good paramedic but i've kind of gotten away from it because it concerns me that i might not know what i need to know and cause more problem can you i mean we talked about the needle itself what would it be used for what would it be helpful in what situation can you just so chest decomp needle is used for this you get some sort of particularly gunshot to the area where there is a there is a hole that goes into your lung and so that when you breathe air, air in through your lungs air comes outside of the lung but stays within the body cavity and because of that it starts creating an overpressurization of the abdominal carrier chest area. Okay. And meaning that when, if you get too much pressure inside that body cavity, it's going to put undue stress on the heart, the, you know, the other lung, uh, other organ tissue and whatnot, not, and that'll cause major problems. So basically what a chest decomp needle is used for is basically you stick the needle in a certain part of the body and I'm not even going to go there. So don't even ask me, I'm not qualified to teach that at all but you stick it in a certain part of the body. If you stick it in other parts of the body, then it caused serious problem. And that's why I've gotten a little bit scared of it. And, uh, what happens is because you create a, a tunnel, if you will, and for the air that's in there over pressurizing the body, it, it has an avenue to escape. And so basically you put it in and then the air leaves air will leave the body. Yes. And I can see the, the risk there. So, Good stuff, Craig. There's definite risk there. And so I, I would avoid that from, you know, again, everybody needs to understand I'm not qualified to teach first aid or trauma medicine, that's for sure. Okay, so next time. So, guys, I, again, this is getting very typical. Craig and I have a lot planned for these podcasts, and oftentimes we just don't get to it all. So next time, Craig, why don't you see if you can get us a good guest, and we'll talk about these I will. These questions. Yeah, I've already got a couple guys that have uh, that listen to the podcast and say, hey, if you ever need me, just call on me. So I'll just give them a call. So we'll talk about next time that we get back to first aid, we'll talk about different types of trainings, uh, where to find them, where to get them. We'll talk about some of these more specific points. We'll ask questions. And as we leave out of here, Craig, I'm going to say one thing, and then I'm going to ask you to come up with, again, one, two, or three action steps that people can take. And the first thing I want to say, though, is everything that we talked about right here in the trauma kit has to do with two things on our roll of threes. Remember, these all have to do with airflow and blood. And if you have anything else to say about that, Craig, go ahead and do that and maybe give us a couple action steps and I'll take us out of here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we've talked about the rule of threes. You can't live more than three minutes without blood flow and oxygen flow to your body. And that's you know, high priority. And the best way to take care of that is preventative uh, mindset, skills, tactics, and gear. Obviously you do everything you can to prevent yourself from being cut or losing oxygen. But because they are of such a high priority, if you're bleeding and you're losing a lot of blood, then you need to be, get that taken care of. 
So that's that's why this is such an important topic. I mean, this is one of those things. If somebody, you know, that's why CPR, basic first aid, is an incredibly invaluable topic to study. You need to get into that CPR training wherever you are, and it's easy, it's affordable, and then also add into that trauma medicine. As far as action steps, uh, which I always appreciate you prompting me to do that, I, I seriously do because I forget. I share information, then I don't lay it out well enough for people to, hey, this is what you need to do. What you need to do is if you've had the opportunity, then listen to this podcast. And while we're talking about these items, write them down and then go about sourcing them on your own. It'll take a little bit more time. It might be a little bit of an aggravation, but you're going to save the money and you're going to have superior items than you will if you go to a store and buy a big kit. And again, like David said, if it's got 75 items in it, 50 of those are going to be cheap band-aids that don't work. So go ahead and get uh, and, and be real careful even on buying a trauma kit from a big box store. I'm just telling you, don't get a trauma kit from a big box store. You need to get that from Dark Angel Medical. You need to get that from Rescue Essentials. You need to get it from a company. And you need to, if you're going to get a good trauma kit, you need to plan on spending 75, 80 bucks, more than likely, if it's going to include, if it's going to include the tourniquet. If it's going to include the tourniquet, it's going to be up there closer to 100. So plan on it. And it's worth it. I mean, it's one of them things that you definitely want to have and not need than need and not have. Cause if you've got a profusely bleeding arm that's been chopped off or cut or shot, that person's going to die within two minutes if you don't get a tourniquet on it. So it's just a vital piece of equipment. That's really good, Craig. So guys subscribe to the podcast. Now, if you're not doing, if you have not done so already, and thank you if you are subscribed. I'm just going to ask you guys to go ahead and share this podcast on social media. It's actually really easy to do. And if you're listening on Podbean, there's a little share button and a nice little player comes up. So that's cool. So regardless of where you're at, please, guys, please, please, please give us a five-star rating. It actually helps people find us. And then we can help other people the way we're helping you, hopefully. Don't forget to click on the links in the description for the stuff that we've mentioned today and told you we would include there. Thank you to our sponsor again, the Sportsman's Guide. Go check them out. And if you use the link www.thesurvivalshow.com forward slash guide, you'll go over there and they'll know it. They'll be really happy. You guys will be really happy because it's a cool site and it's a win-win for everybody. All right, guys, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show podcast. Remember, keep it simple. Be positive and stay sharp.